Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of Deep True Crime. I'm Manny Rodriguez. In today's episode, we are covering the tragic story of two sisters found dead in the back of a taxi car that their dad just borrowed. On January 1st, 2008, two young girls were found shot in their father's taxi at the Omni Mandalay Hotel in Irving, Texas. One of the victims, Sarah Saeed, after being shot nine times, one of the chests had gunshot particles in it, meaning the gun was very close when it was fired. She found the strength and made a declaration dying call. When she managed to call 911 and she said, my dad just shot me. I'm dying. The victims, Amina Saeed, only 18 years old, and Sarah Saeed, 17 years old, taken from this world way too soon by their own father. And what many are referring to as the honor killing. What is an honor killing? An honor killing, as many have been describing around this case, and if you go to Google, it shares that in certain cultures, the killing of a relative, especially a girl or woman who is perceived to have brought dishonor on their family. And so this dad is said to have killed his two daughters in an honor killing because they were becoming too Americanized and wanted to live the way Americans live, including having American boyfriends which really set the dad off. Which I find interesting considering that he was married to their mom who is an American white lady. And after so much abuse from their dad, they planned to flee. Let's dive deeper into this story. On New Year's Day, Patricia Saeed, the mother of the two girls, she stood at the door of a small house in a Hispanic neighborhood in Louisville, Texas, pleading with her daughter Amina to come home. The girl cried and clung to her boyfriend, Edgar Ruiz, a college student who lived in the house with his mother and sister. For a week, Amina, an 18-year-old senior at Louisville High School, had been living a nightmare. Her father, Yasser Saeed, had pulled a gun on Christmas Eve and threatened to kill her because of her relationship with Edgar. Edgar, also known as Eddie, he says we were going to get engaged and get married. And after learning that Amina planned to run away with Eddie, Patricia, who everyone called Tissy as a nickname, she phoned a family member to find a place to hide. The mom would leave with Amina and her young daughter, Sarah, who was 17 years old, who also feared her father. Her brother, Islam, had told their father that Sarah too has a boyfriend and Yasser threatened to kill her too. From the time they were little, Yasser told his daughters they were to have no American boyfriends ever. Yasser and Islam kept strict watch over the girls to ensure they didn't disobey the command. Yasser, he had big plans for both girls. Everything would begin in May when Amina received her high school diploma. She would get engaged to a man he had chosen for her in Egypt, his birthplace. From the groom, Amina 
would receive a sizable, what they refer to as mar. Think that's how you pronounce it? But basically is the form of money or possessions paid for by the groom to the bride at the time of Islamic marriage. Now, generally it's often money, but it could be anything agreed upon by the bride, such as jewelry, home goods, furniture, a dwelling or some land for the family or something like that. In English translation, it's referred to as a dower. Yasir had scrimped for years to provide his own contribution to the marriage, a small vacation chalet on the seaside in the Sinai. When Amina, who dreamed of becoming a doctor, asked her father when she would go to college, Yasir had a simple answer. When, if, your husband allows. The same was expected for Sarah. Amina, who her dad took her to Egypt at the age of 15 to meet the prospective husband, she had no intention of marrying a much older Egyptian man, a stranger. So on December 26, her mom, her daughters, and their two boyfriends, they fled Texas. They made their way to Attica, a small Kansas town where Tissy's aunt lived. But Amina, who had been offered a scholarship by Texas A&M, knew immediately that Attica wouldn't do. She had to live in a college town. And so the five of them, they get back on the road and head to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where Eddie has relatives. They plan to get an apartment, find jobs, and enroll in school. Their boyfriends would stay with them to protect them. Sarah's boyfriend, Eric Panameno, he says we were gonna live with them so they could be safe. The group found an apartment. The mom and Eric, they got jobs right away while the girls checked out school. And Eddie, he drove back to Dallas for a DJ job and to get his belongings. Then their mom lies to them. She tells her daughters that December 31st was her deceased mother's birthday and she wanted to drive to East Texas to put flowers on a grave. Driving through Denton to Louisville, she finally reveals the truth. She was returning to Yasir. Reluctantly, Sarah went home with her mother, but Amina refused. She says, I'm never going back there. And so she spends New Year's Eve at Eddie's house. The calls from her mother started early the next morning, but Amina refused to come home. Finally, her mom drives a few blocks to Eddie's home and pounds on the door. Amina argues with her mom, who stood in the doorway, refusing to go anywhere, saying that her father has forgiven her. And according to Eddie, the mom said she just wanted to talk to Amina and that everything was going to be fine. And according to Eddie, she says that mom says he just wanted to talk to Amina and that everything was going to be okay. Amina, she was crying. She didn't want to go, but her mom makes her go. And so Eddie, he's trusting in the mom to look out for her. He says, you know, can't do much about it, so he backs off. A few hours later, the bodies of Amina and Sarah Saeed were found in a taxi outside an Irving hotel. Yasir Saeed had disappeared, and he was a fugitive for 12 years, and he was top 10 America's most wanted by the FBI. To this, that's when a lot of people, including one of their mom's aunts, who walked up to someone who was officiating the Muslim service for the two girls at the funeral, and she yells out loud, this is an honor killing. Don't deny it. And other members of Tissy's family started saying that Yasir 
had killed Amina and Sarah because it was his kinship and religious duty to restore the Saeed family's reputation, which was allegedly ruined because of their relationship with the two young American men. Now, Yasir Saeed's side of the family, they disagreed. They say if he was responsible, which we now know he was, they say that he just snapped. One of his brothers says only a monster could do that. But even though now that news that a Muslim father had been accused of murdering two beautiful daughters because he disapproved of her boyfriends, this triggers an instantaneous and predictable reaction from non-Muslims. And they say it had to be an Islamic honor killing. I'm, I'm more of what the cops say. A murder is a murder. He murdered his two daughters. I don't care what the reasoning is. He murdered his two daughters. There's nothing okay about that. If anyone in their rightful mind can say an honor killing is okay, not that I've heard that anywhere, but I don't understand what does it matter. He murdered his two daughters. There's nothing else to talk about. And going into the trial, that's exactly what his defense attorney would try to use is all the media hype around him and portraying him as the killer right out of the gate. Not really looking at who else could be involved? Because on the stand, Yasir, he said he's innocent. He said he saw someone following us. It freaked him out. And he thought it was either going to be the two daughters' friends or it would be someone after him. And so to protect the daughters, he pulls over, tells the girls, you can have the car and leaves and takes the gun. And he says he gets on a nearby bus station or something like that. And because there's no video evidence of him anywhere near this taxi or anywhere near this area, they try to say there's no way that he's to blame. Why are you automatically blaming him? What about the car that was following them the day of? And yes, there was a car following him. And it was one of the boyfriends in the car and allegedly his dad. Amina's boyfriend that trusted the mom to look out for her. He says that Amina's last words before leaving his home were, you didn't try to protect me and you will never see me again. In his mind, he thought mom is going to look out for her. She's saying it's okay to come back home. Basically saying that dad is okay. Dad's ready. Dad's okay. Dad's good. And Ruiz tells the jurors in the trial that he and his father saw Yasir Saeed driving his daughters in a taxi shortly before the teens were killed. They followed them, but eventually stopped. And because they were following him, that's what kind of gave Yasir Saeed room to say someone was following me. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know why they were following me. So I got out of the car and ran. But of course, as a dad, they, they're wondering like, why didn't you protect your daughters then? Well, obviously, it's because he's the one that did it. He's the perpetrator. Eric Panameno, the boyfriend of Sarah Saeed, he said that Sarah always thought something would happen, and she encouraged him to keep going if anything happened to her. He chose to go to Oklahoma with the girls after Amina revealed to everyone that her dad threatened her with a gun on Christmas Eve because they were dating American boys. Connie Mojo... The aunt of Amina and Sarah and the sister of Patricia Owens, as you can see in this photo with the mom in the background, she testifies that she last spoke with Amina hours before the girls died. She shares that Amina was upset her mother had returned home. Amina and Sarah's mom discussed when she got married 
to their father. And she shares that on February 7th, 1987, she was only 15 years old, holding onto her father's arm, made her grand entrance in a secondhand wedding gown and walked down the aisle of a Bedford Country Baptist Church that was founded by her grandfather. Sitting on one side was the family of Patricia Owens, again, only 15 years old, Christian for the most part, working class Texans who looked at the groom's relatives and saw immigrants from Egypt who spoke with funny accents, had a funny religion, and whose women dressed in flowing robes. And sitting across the aisle, Yasir's brothers and a sister who had come to the United States in 1983 after their father in Egypt had divorced their mother, remarried, and started another family. Tissy and Yasir had met at a convenience store in Hearst where he manned a cash register. Her sister, Connie Mojo, she said that he was really nice, but you couldn't understand a lot of what he was saying. He didn't speak very good English. Yasir has no secondary education and few skills. Patricia, she was a vulnerable, overweight teenager. Tissy's mother had also married as a teenager and was only a year or two older than Yasir. Patricia's cousin, Cindy, she says that Patricia had first been engaged to Yasir's younger brother, but he broke it off. Tall, thin, and quiet Yasir gifted Patricia with presents and told her family he owned land in Egypt. Though a Muslim, he agreed to a ceremony in a Christian church and her parents signed papers allowing their minor daughter to marry a man twice her age. Patricia's aunt, Gail Gartrell, she took Patricia aside and explained that she was marrying in a very different culture. Patricia, she just didn't care. And Patricia's sister, aunts, and cousins, they believe Yasir was marrying Patricia to stay in America. His visa was about to expire, and they had known each other only a week. Yasir later received permanent residency. After the ceremony, Patricia's aunt Gail says that several Arabic men approached American women in the parking lot and asked if they were interested in marriage. The wedding reception, which was held in Saeed's home in Ulus, it really showed the divide between men and women. The men sit in one room, the women sit in another. All the food was in a room with the men, the female guests were ignored. By the time Patricia was 18, she had three children under the age of five. So by the time she was married, at the age of 15, within three years, she would have three children. Her first one was her son, Islam Yasser Saeed, born in March of 1988. The following year, same month, Amina Saeed was born on March 2nd, 1989. And again, the following year, same month of March, Sarah Saeed was born on March 16th, 1990. Find that very interesting. How do you have three babies three years in the same month? Wow, unless you planned it, right? I mean, like, how does that even happen? So I find that pretty interesting. But by the time she was 18, she had three children under the age of five. And to supplement his income as a cabbie, he worked minimum wage jobs. Mojo, Patricia's sister, she says that Patricia stopped wearing makeup, wouldn't eat pork, and fasted on Muslim holidays. Though she rarely wore a headscarf, Patricia told her sister she had to have Yasir's permission to talk to or go out with friends. 
According to Patricia's sister Mojo and some other American relatives, the couple's son Islam, he grew into a little hellion, calling his mother by her first name and ignoring Patricia's attempts at discipline. Patricia's sister says, He'd cuss you out. In their household, the pecking order was Yasir, Islam, Patricia, and then the girls. Patricia gradually stopped seeing her family, according to her sister, Mojo. She said, I went over to see the kids. I was leaving, and he blocked me in. Yasir told me, I can kill you right now, and nobody would ever know it. And don't ever go to his house and get his family. That's according to her sister. And then in the late fall of 1998, while sitting at Gail Gartrell's breakfast table, again, Gail is the girl's aunt, Patricia had left the girls with Gail. While she and Mojo, Patricia's sister, went to the Hill County Sheriff's Department to follow a report that Yasir had sexually abused both daughters. Amina says to her aunt, do you know what daddy did to me and Sarah? Amina, who's only nine years old at that time, asks her great aunt. Sarah then says, Aunt Gail, it was bad. And at that time, big brother Islam, who was 10 years old, he clenched his fists in anger and told his aunt Gail he wanted to kill Yasir for hurting his sister. A year earlier, Patricia had left Yasir in October of 1997, and she told her sister that Yasir rarely drove his taxi. Yasir wouldn't work. It was hard for my sister with no education to make good money. That was what Mojo had said about her sister. And according to the sheriff's report, Yasir had retaliated by picking the children up at school. He ran off to Virginia and told her he was going to take the kids to the Middle East where he is from and she would never see them again. In March of 1998, the couple got back together and moved to Covington, a tiny town near Hillsboro to live on property owned by a family member. Yasir worked in a nearby convenience store while his family lived in a shack. And Patricia's aunt Joyce Boucher, she said that they had to poop in a bucket. And then on October 24th of 1998, Patricia called a Hill County Sheriff's deputy to say her daughter's told their American grandmother, who lived in Garland, Texas, that their father had been sexually abusing them for two or three years, and she had again left Yasir. In the sheriff's report, it reads some heinous things that I'm not going to read out loud. But the girls, according to the report, the girls were staying with the grandmother and were afraid to go with their father and told the grandmother that their father had put his finger in their private parts and did more. I'm not going to go in any deeper. It's hard to even read it. And the complainant, Patricia, had advised that Sarah told her that her father had stuck his finger inside of her and that Amina told her that her father had stuck his finger inside of her. And so this was filed. The mom had heard this. She was nervous about even questioning her husband about this. She did file the charges so that she could get a court order to keep him and his family away from her kids. And so she takes the three kids and goes to the sheriff's office and two deputies conduct a taped interview with Amina, who in very graphic language for a child described how her father had touched her, made her touch him, and that her father had put his front part in her front part. Amina said that she is afraid of her father afraid he will hit her. And in an interview with Sarah, the eight-year-old at the, at the time, she told deputies about her father's alleged molestation actions and said she was afraid of her dad and his brothers 
and scared they will take her. But a later physical exam of the girls didn't confirm the abuse, but a normal genital exam did not rule out the abuse. And on November 5th of 1998, while Patricia was still in hiding, Yasir went to the sheriff's office to try to get her in trouble to say that she had written a check on his account. But since the check wasn't a forgery, there was no legitimate complaint. But then a deputy told Yasir about this abuse allegation. He adamantly denied the charge and he said that he would be willing to take a polygraph test and that he blamed Patricia for not providing for the children. He never takes the polygraph test. In Dallas County, he's charged with felony retaliation after Patricia filed a complaint alleging he threatened to kill her and take the children after being indicted on December 17th, 1998 for the sexual stuff towards his daughter. But the charges were dropped on January 12th of 1999 when Amina and Sarah recanted their story saying that they had lied about the abuse because they didn't like their school in Covington and wanted to live with their grandmother. And so Yasir was not arrested for any alleged allegation until March 22nd, 2001. And that charge would also later be dismissed because Patricia refused to cooperate with prosecutors and Yasir agreed to take an anger management court. And after this abuse case was dismissed, the couple again reconciled. The family leaves Covington and they live in a series of dumpy apartments in Dallas and Tarrant County. And so Patricia and Yasir, they managed to get by with the help of a monthly disability check that Islam was getting because mentally R-E-T-A-R-D-E-D. -E That's what they diagnosed him as. At the age of 14, he dropped out to be homeschooled by his mother and the disability check paid the rent. You know, and one of Yasir's brothers, he did describe Amina and Sarah as the family's stars, smart, athletic, and beautiful. He said that the family had lined up on different sides, Yasir and Islam, versus Amina and Sarah with the mom Patricia in the middle. The girls told their friends that their brother was weird, a loser who parroted his father's negative attitudes about America and women. And which is weird because his brother is saying that they were free to do whatever they wanted as long as they did the proper things. The brother says that Yasir didn't want the girls to turn out like the Owens family, dropping out, getting pregnant, and doing drugs. But how could they possibly be free considering Amina's hysterical phone call to her mother from Egypt in 2005, where the children traveled with their father? Amina calls the mom hysterical, crying, he wants me to marry an Egyptian man in his 40s. And Amina says, I don't know him. I never want to come to Egypt again. And when that call came in, Patricia, who rarely sees her extended family anyway, she was attending a family funeral. And she told family members what the 15-year-old or 16-year-old Amina said at that time and giggles at the same time. And she confides in her sister Mojo that when the girls married, they would receive a lot of money. And before the girls got married, Islam had to marry first. And Yasir, he was finding it harder to lease cab. One manager at a yellow jet cab, Jack Beasley, he says that Yasir had been fired in August of 2003 and that the company had banned Yasir from future leasing because customers complained that he was crazy. Other cab companies would not hire him because nobody wanted to work with him anymore. 
This is according to the manager at Yellow Jet Cab, Jack Beasley. Another cab owner was an exception. King cab owner Masood Nasiri, he was an exception and he continued to provide Yasir work. Nasiri, who came to the United States in the 1970s from Iran, says that Yasir worked long hours but would not leave the house unless Islam was there to make sure the girls stayed home at night. He worked the graveyard shift six or seven days a week, never drew complaints, never got scared. This is according to Masood Nasiri. And according to Patricia, he always carried a gun when he was driving a cab. It is said that in Southern Egypt, with people living near the Nile, they still practice older traditions including honor killing. But Yasir had veered from Muslim and Egyptian cultural practices early on. First, by Mary and Patricia, after his brother dumped her. Amina and Sarah, they grew up American Muslims, but Yasir was trying to raise them as Egyptians. And a week before Christmas of 2007, Yasir Saeed, they, he dropped his taxi off at the King Cab Body Shop in Deep Ellum, leaving without paying back fees of $700 or $800. Nasiri, he didn't worry about it. Yasir, who had leased taxis from him for about seven years, usually traveled to Egypt over the slope holiday period. And so he would make up the deficit when he returned. According to Nasiri, every Saturday for years, Yasir came down to King Cab to pay his fees, often bringing his children. And the office manager who worked there, Donna Seller, says that Yasir became one of her favorite cabbies. She says, Yasir was respectful, kind, and thoughtful. According to the office manager, Donna Sellers, problems started when Yasir started bringing Tissy in on Saturdays, which is when he would come in to pay his dues, whatever was left over that he owed or, or catching up. And Donna says, she didn't like me talking to Yasir so much. One day after witnessing an argument between Sellers and her now ex-husband on the lot, Yasir got out of his cab to talk, and he says to her, he didn't feel so alone. Sellers said that he realized other people had problems in their marriage too. He was frustrated because, if, because he felt Patricia was very immature, not a good wife or a good mother. Donna Sellers says to him, you married her at age 15. That means you have to raise her. And Yasir says, yes, but when does she finally grow up? Using deception, Yasir had already discovered Amina had a boyfriend before Eddie. Yasir gave her a car to drive to her many lessons, karate, cheerleading, anything to get out of the house. Suspicious because Amina seemed happy, Yasir replaced the driver's airbag with an audio recorder and caught her talking to her boyfriend on her cell phone. Yasir hit and kicked Amina in the face, shredding her lips on her bracelet. And that's when he decides to move the family from an apartment in Bedford to a small house in Louisville. Patricia and Yasir find a home in the Hispanic neighborhood not far from a freeway. The girls would go to Louisville High School, but Yasir would supervise them like a prison guard. As a high school senior, Amina was said to be like that all-American girl. One school friend described Amina as she wanted trendy clothes, hip stuff. Her father wanted the Muslim way of life. 
She was Muslim because her father was, but she wasn't sure about it. She wanted to go her own way. Like most teens, Amina and Sarah did chat on their cell phones, listen to music, and love to take pictures of each other playing around, joking around, doing a fun, a bunch of fun things. Unlike other kids their age, they never got to hang out with friends after school or on the weekends. No one visit them at their home. And at times, friends admitted that they saw the girls with bruises and welts they said were caused by their father. And they even told friends that their father would kill them if they dated American boys. You know, and as soon as Amina became a teenager, Yasir tried to match his daughter up with different Egyptian men, including a cousin. Under Islam law, a woman must agree to the marriage. Amina always refused. And she even told Eddie that Yasir's father, who had come to the United States, was pushing it. In the summer of 2007, both sisters got jobs at a Kroger a few blocks from their home where Patricia had been working for about five months. And their former boss at Kroger said they were a joy to work with. They were my best employee. There, Amina meets Eddie, an 18-year-old Hispanic who mowed lawns and was attending junior college. They started seeing each other from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. when she had tennis class, the only time they could get together. Amina warned Eddie, my father is really psycho. He would continuously ask his daughter if she was still a virgin. Amina would tell him, of course. But passionately in love, Amina and Eddie had started doing it. Their intimacy brought Amina anxiety. And in November, she sent him a text message saying that they had to talk immediately. And Amina tells him, you're probably gonna think I'm dirty and won't look at me the same way. My dad had ex with me and my sister, Sarah. Crying and ashamed, Amina told Eddie it had ended about 10 years earlier. And Eddie describes it as she talked about him with so much hatred, she wanted him to die. And Eddie, he assured Amina, he loved her. We're in this together. And Sarah, she meets a co-worker, Eric, a clean-cut Hispanic student in ROTC at Louisville High School. They talked at school and at work. And Sarah, she kept his number in her cell phone under a girl's name. And the girl's friend, Justin Finn, he says that Amina had two cell phones, one her parents paid for and one Eddie paid for. For Amina, the countdown to big changes in her life began with the start of her senior year in September 2007. At the end of May would be stage one for Yasir. Amina would graduate from high school and get engaged in Egypt. Since Yasir used Islam, who worked off and on at Walmart as his assistant and overseeing his daughter's movements, his son's schedule had to be coordinated with his own. As Amina entered her senior year and Yasir became more worried about her behavior, Patricia went to Walmart to demand that Islam's supervisor arrange his shift so he could get off before 11 p.m. Now, Islam wedding was scheduled to take place in the summer of 2008. And Yasir, he was saving every penny in order to take his wife and two daughters to Egypt for the ceremony, along with a huge party that they plan on having. But Yasir had another motive as well. He tells Amina, I will leave you there if you don't get engaged. Her only alternative was to attend University of Texas at Arlington, where she could meet the sons of Muslims 
he knew in the area. Amina listened and she was not happy to hear what he was saying and it truly made her upset to the point she was very angry. Amina didn't want to be a Muslim, according to Eddie, her boyfriend. She felt cursed, like it was something she was born into. In December of 2007, Amina sends Eddie a text and it says, will you marry me? Eddie says, we were going to get married so she would have my last name. Eddie says we were going to get married so she would have my last name. She was going to finish high school and then disappear for life. In early December of 2007, a frantic Amina came to school with her cell phone bills stuffed in her backpack. Yasir, he had scrutinized her bills to find out who she was talking to. And Justin Finn, her friend, he said that she was trying to come up with a plan to delete her phone bill. Amina sends him a text message saying that if her dad found out about Eddie, he would kill them, no doubt. And she confided in Justin Finn that she planned to run away with Eddie and that her mom was gonna go too because she wanted to leave for many years of the marriage, but she had no courage. Justin Finn said that she always stayed for fear of everyone's life. On Christmas Eve 2007, Amina and Sarah, crying hysterically, ran into Kroger to tell their mother that their father had waved a gun in their face and threatened to kill Amina because she has a boyfriend. You know, and co-workers, they see what's going on and they're, they're worried for the family. And so they tell Patricia to leave Yasir to take the girls somewhere safe and do not go home. A few of them even gave her money and Patricia agrees. But the next morning on Christmas day, her boss was shocked to see Patricia standing behind a cash register. Despite the fear and drama of what happened the night before, she couldn't leave without finding a place to hide. At 1.30 in the morning, the day after Christmas, only four hours after seeing his wife and daughters last, Yasir told Louisville police they went missing. Yasir tells the police that Patricia and the girls had gone to a convenience store for drinks and hadn't returned. And so Patricia's sister Mojo she tells Patricia that, hey, the police were looking for you. And so Patricia calls the Louisville Police Department and she tells them we left home in fear of our lives. And the rest of the week, we don't know how much of a role Patricia plays completely. She's never been charged with anything, but a lot of people feel like she should be charged with something. Because during the week, between Christmas and New Year's Day, a lot has happened that there's no good explanation for. First, she gets her daughters to safety. They travel to Kansas, they travel to Oklahoma, and then she lies to them what seems to be a fatal trap. On December 27th, when the black truck pulled up to Jill Owens' home in Kansas about noon on December 27th, Patricia, the two girls, and the two boyfriends, they exit the vehicle all together. And Patricia tells her aunt, if Yasir finds the girls, he's going to kill them both. Again, she says this to her aunt, if Yasir finds the girls, he's going to kill them both. So she already knew, dad is crazy, he's going to kill the girls. And to get started with their new life, Patricia had taken some money from Yasir's hash stash. She told Jill Owens that it was $4,000, but Sarah spoke up and said, no, it was $9,000. And according to Jill Owens, the only time Patricia seemed upset was when she talked about leaving Islam behind. Islam is her son. 
her oldest son, the oldest of the three kids. And by the end of the afternoon, all five had left and headed to Tulsa, Oklahoma. They find an apartment. They buy some furnishings for it. During the trip, Patricia learned that both her daughters were sleeping with their boyfriends. She didn't like that either. Her only reaction was she had to get them to Planned Parenthood for contraception. You know, and according to Eddie, Amina's boyfriend, he said that Patricia was kind of like a child. She didn't know what she wanted. I thought she had something against the girl. And the attempt to start new lives came to a halt when Patricia told the girls that December 31st was their grandmother's birthday and they had to drive to East Texas to put flowers on her grave. The flowers on the grave story was just a ploy to get them back over there. Yasir had promised Mojo that if Patricia and the girls came home, he would move out of the house. And so as they got closer to Louisville, Texas, Patricia announced she was returning to Yasir. Their escape attempt was over. Sarah did go home with her mother, but Amina insisted on staying with Eddie and his family. Amina, she calls Mojo, her aunt, and she tells Mojo, she said, my mom just flat lied to us. She went back to my dad. I'd rather be dead than go back there. And Mojo tells her to get a restraining order against her father immediately. Patricia tells Yasir, Amina's out with some friends, going to a New Year's Eve party, and was spending the night with a friend. She didn't tell him the truth, that she was with her boyfriend, Eddie. The next day, Patricia tells Yasir that Amina had spent the night at Eddie's home, which of course really pissed him off. Patricia blows up Amina's phone, calling her for hour after hour after hour after hour. With no response, she then appears at Eddie's front door, and she's saying that all is forgiven. Her dad is, has flipped the page. He's a new guy. She kept insisting. Amina was too smart for that. She didn't believe it. You know, and as Eddie said, he's hurt her for 20 years. He wouldn't change after five days. And Patricia says, I thought about it. Y'all and Islam are going to get married and I don't want to be all alone. Nothing's going to happen to Amina with me there. I really want them to finish high school. Then you can run away. She promised to protect her daughter. Amina she says, I don't want to go back. She turns to Eddie, let's go back to Tulsa. Eddie says, Patricia will know where we are. I was like, it won't hurt to talk to him. And as he breaks into this memory, even on the stand, he couldn't hold himself together. It, to him, he says, I always thought a mother would take care of her girl. Amina tells Eddie, you're letting me down. She took the memory card out of her camera and threw it at him. It's over. He won't let me see you again. She refused to kiss him goodbye and walked out the door. He didn't protect her. He did not protect her. And so the last time Eddie saw Amina was in her father's taxi. Eddie and his father were driving to meet a relative when Yasir's taxi crossed their path. Eddie followed the cab and he sees Amina sitting in the front seat facing Yasir, her knee up and her back against the door. Eddie says that she looked nervous and he said that Sarah didn't look worried. And he says that after Amina sent him a text message saying that the situation was okay, he and his father drove on to their destination. And Amina, she had only been home only minutes when her father had hustled both girls into his taxi saying that they're gonna go to Denny's to eat some food. The mom says, can I go? Dad says, no, just the three of us. Yasir, 
He confronted Sarah and asked if she was having sex with her boyfriend. She said yes. Then at 7.35 p.m., the call to 911 was routed to the Irvin Police Department. As you just heard, she says, help, help, my dad shot me. And the cell phone caught a girl's gasping voice. I'm dying. I'm dying. Then they hear the sound of a car door opening. Then another, oh my God, not again. Then there was a struggle. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. The door slamming. Then only whimpering. And the police dispatcher traced the number to Islam, who had loaned Sarah his phone. Louisville police, they arrive at the Lakeland house and picked up Patricia and Islam, who said Yasir had taken the girls in his taxi for tea. And by the time that the mother and the son arrived at the Irvin Police Department, the mystery of the 911 call had been solved. A cab driver pulled into the taxi queue at the Omni Mandalay Hotel in Las Colinas at about 8.30 p.m. When the cab in front of him didn't move, the driver looked inside. No driver, just two blood-soaked young women sprawled across the seats, Amina in front, and Sarah in back. Tracing the cell tower that picked up Sarah's phone call, police surmised that Yasir had driven to a park on Riverside Drive where fishermen casting for bass often heard gunshots from the Elk Fork shooting range. Yasir stopped the car, pulled out a 9mm, and shot Amina twice who was sitting in the front seat, hitting her point blank in the chest, severing her spinal cord. Then he turned a gun on Sarah in the back seat. The girl fought as her father shot her nine times. If he did fire the shots at the park, Yasir drove fewer than three miles, parked in front of the Omni, and left his dead daughters for others to find. Then wearing a jacket and black turtleneck and carrying his Egyptian passport, he vanished into the cold night air. And as soon as the two girls were found in the jet taxi, Yasir is nowhere to be found. They're blowing up his phone with no response. Nathan Watson, the guest service manager at the hotel, he was informed of the situation. Then Watson went to investigate and what he saw, he will never, and he describes on the stand what he witnessed as he came up on there, knocked on the door, couldn't quite see what was going on, just seeing two people. The car was turned off. They didn't really he didn't have much information to go off of and then he flashes his light inside of it and that's when they when he sees this is a crime scene now don't touch anything else because we may contaminate something he knew well enough to keep his distance once he knew there was no signs of life inside that car and employees at the hotel they were familiar with yasir samid but did not remember seeing him on January 1st, 2008. And the surveillance video did not offer any clues. The video was too grainy to make out the shadowy figure in the video. When they got there, they saw that the girls had been shot multiple times at close range inside the cab and they found spent bullet casings were found throughout the vehicle along with a new bullet magazine, cigarette butts, and ashes. The person responsible, they knew, had long left the scene. And so Yasir, he was on the run for 12 years. Yasir Saeed would become one of America's most wanted top 10 fugitives. He was on the run for many years. 
A break in the case came on August 14th of 2017 when a maintenance worker at an apartment complex, Copper Canyon Apartments in Bedford, Texas, where Yasir's son, Islam Saeed, rented an apartment and the maintenance worker reported seeing a man matching Yasir's description inside of Islam's apartment. And when detectives show him a picture of Yasir Saeed, the worker identified him as the man he had seen in the apartment. At approximately 6.30 that evening, an agent came into the apartment to interview Islam. Islam was upset and allegedly refused to cooperate. He then called someone saying, we have a problem at 1 a.m. A search warrant was executed on the apartment which was empty at the time. However, the police observed a sliding glass patio door open and below the patio, they noticed a shrub with broken branches, suggesting someone had jumped off the patio and landed on the bush. And next to the flattened bush, they found a pair of glasses, which they collected as evidence they collected evidence inside the apartment, including several cigarette butts and a toothbrush. And the FBI laboratory in Quantico, Virginia, they compared the DNA from those items to the DNA of Amina and Sarah, and they determined the DNA most likely came from their biological father. Three years later, in August of 2020, the police began a 24-hour surveillance on a home in Justin, Texas. And they observed Islam and Yasin, the brother to Yasir, and the uncle to Islam, entering and, and exiting the home, and they see the shadow of another man inside the home after the two men left. And so after a week of surveillance, which they'd even see this man here carrying stuff out, the FBI obtained a search warrant on the apartment and arrested Yasir on August 26, 2020. And on the same day in nearby Euless, Texas, they arrested, who was 32 years old at that time, on the same day in nearby Euless, Texas, they also arrested Islam and Yasin Saeed and Saeed's son and brother were both charged with concealing a person from arrest and Islam, he pleaded guilty to harboring a fugitive, conspiring to harbor a fugitive and one count of conspiracy to obstruct justice. On April 27, 2021, he was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison for those charges. His uncle, Yasin Saeed, he claimed that he hated Yasir for what he did and that he would have never helped him if he had known what would happen. But on February 4th, 2021, he was found guilty of conspiracy and harboring a fugitive. He was sentenced to 12 years in federal prison on June 4th, 2021. And Yasir, who went to trial, has been found guilty, indicted on capital mur murder charges. Prosecutors did not seek the death penalty. Yasir is found guilty of capital murder of multiple persons. And he is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. During the impact statement, Patricia Owens, the mother of Amina and Sarah Saeed, she delivers her impact statement, she points directly at Yasir and says, you are the devil. You murdered your girls. Their aunt, Hani Mojo, she delivers her impact statement and she looks directly at the killer 
and says, you abused, stalked, assaulted Amina and Sarah. There you have it, my friends, the tragic story and what many are referring to as the honor kill. Police refer to him as a father who was controlling and jealous as they were getting older, getting smarter, showing so much of a bright future. Rest in peace, Amina and Sarah Saeed. May you find comfort. Yasir, you will have to deal with your maker. I'm Manny Rodriguez, and this is the story of the honor killing. Tragic, tragic story of two young girls taken way too soon. My friends, thank you for joining. I look forward to serving you again.